Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. Here we go. We'll go to 1 John, and uh, we'll go ahead and read our passage of Scripture. We do responsive reading here at our church, and I just want to say um, uh, I, I have loved 1 John. I've loved listening to you read. You've read all of the even verses of this book, and so you have contributed to the series of messages, and I want to say thank you. And if you're at home watching, I trust that you also uh, follow along in 1 John chapter number 5 this morning. We're going to actually have a lengthy passage of scripture, verses 6 through 15. So you're going to have an opportunity to read several verses here. And uh, we'll ask the Lord to bless the reading of his word. And those who are visiting, I met four visiting families. Uh, thank you for being here. One family from Alaska. You're a long way from home. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, we, we trust that whether in the balcony or the main floor, this amazing attendance. This could be the largest attendance we've had since uh, 2020. And so uh, what, a, what a dynamic crowd we have today. Let's all participate now and read back to the Lord. If you do not have a Bible, there's one in the pew or the, the seats there, or the words will be on the screen behind me. You get to start verse number six. Let's begin. This is... For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Thank you so much. You may be seated. May God add his blessing to the reading of the word. I read a humorous story regarding the former Tonight Show host Jay Leno and his immigrant mother. It seems that she lived in for the entirety of her life in a constant fear of being deported from the United States. You see, on her citizenship test, uh, she, you can only miss four questions, and she missed the fifth question. And the question that she missed that disqualified her from passing that test was this. What is the Constitution of the United States? Her answer was a boat. 
Um, she was not entirely wrong. Uh, for the USS Constitution at that time was docked in Boston. Um, so the judge denied her uh, entry or, uh, to the, or her judge denied her citizenship um, into the United States. And Leno's father got angry. He stormed up to the judge and he said, what is this? Let me see the test. She's not wrong. The Constitution is a boat. And the judge rolled his eyes and said, no, sir. The Constitution is our basic governing document. Um, he said, it's also a boat in Boston. And uh, the Constitution, the boat, same thing. The judge finally relented and said, fine, she can be a citizen, now get out of here. And proudly, uh, Mr. Leno, J. Leno's father, he marched back to where his wife was. He said, I fixed it, you passed. Um, <laughs> And she says, no, they're always going to come after me. And uh, the famous comedian, he wrote this. From then on, anytime my mother was even in the proximity of a policeman, she quaked with fear. I took her to Scotland in 1983, and she asked me, will I be able to get back into the United States? I said, Ma, don't worry, that was 50 years ago. However, her doubts never ended her entire life. I read that story, and I, then I read this passage of Scripture, and I can make an uncanny parallel that many Christians, and perhaps several in this room this morning, you have doubts about your salvation. Oh, I've prayed salvation a hundred times, and I still don't know if I'm saved. I'm not secure. Well, in this passage of Scripture, we have a clear explanation of salvation and how that we can know that we can have a confident salvation. Do you have confidence in your Lord this morning? If you don't, please listen to the message this morning. I trust they can be a help to you. Not long ago, I uh, was this actually was more than two years ago because uh, I haven't traveled much in the last two years. But uh, I was scheduled to travel uh, through San Francisco to um, to either China or Myanmar. I don't remember th which one. But but I but uh, I received a, a notification on my phone that my flight had been canceled. Now that's different than delayed. Delayed means you uh, you might miss a connection um, uh, and they have to work your rework your schedule and it's an inconvenience. But this text said my flight had been canceled. Now canceled means this is that I don't have a flight. And so I got on the phone and um, and, and uh, uh, United Airlines they they rearranged and I had a, and they said we could get you out at, on the five something flight the next day. And so I rearranged my schedule, and they gave me a new ticket with a new seat number. But everyone in Tucson that was scheduled to be on that flight on the previous day, their flight was also canceled. And so they showed up the next day, many of them on what is called standby. That means they had a ticket, but they didn't have a seat assignment. I distinctly remember there in the A terminal of Tucson Airport. I came, I sat, the guy was, went through security. I was confident that I was getting on that airplane because I had a seat assignment. But I observed something. There was 18 to 20 people that did not have a seat assignment. It wasn't long until over the loudspeaker, uh, um, uh, the intercom, there was this announcement. This flight is oversold. And we are offering you $150 if you can delay your flight to another time. It finally got up to $400. 
And I'm looking, I say, wait, can I make my connection in San Francisco if I uh, uh, take the next flight? And then it got to $500. And then it ended at $600. They're offering people $600 to take a later flight because the flight was oversold. I didn't have to worry at all. Even though the flight was oversold, I know that I had a seat assignment. And as long as I had that boarding pass with a seat assignment, I had a seat on that plane. However, throughout that whole interchange, there were these people that kept going up to the counter. Can I get my seat? Because their ticket said, stand by. They had no confidence that they could get on that flight. There's a lot of Christians. You're just like the person without a seat assignment. You think you're going to get on the flight but you're not sure. You're not confident. I want to help you this morning to be confident in your relationship with the Lord, to be confident in your salvation. Um, now, I made a profession of faith when I was seven years of age. And when I was seven years of age, uh, um, I, I got saved, I got baptized, but I was plagued with doubts for a long time. In fact, even went through high school, and even would lay in my bed at night and pray. If Now, Lord, I know I prayed, or I think I prayed. I don't remember what I prayed at, at seven, but I, I re, uh, but I was baptized. But if I'm not saved, save me. And I was plagued with doubts constantly. Am I a Christian? Am I not a Christian? Till finally, um, I realized that I truly needed to be saved, and I wasn't a Christian. At the age of 19, I got beside a couch with uh, Pastor Smargo, and I nailed that down, and I have never doubted that since. I know that I know if I were to die today that I would go to heaven. I am confident. Do you have that confidence? I don't mean to say that I never have doubts in my life. Uh, There are times, frankly speaking, when I pray and I quietly wonder, did God hear me? And there are times that I wonder, wait, God, I've prayed and you haven't answered that specific request. What is going on? This passage of scripture that you and I read together is to help us eliminate doubt. Now, in a size, uh, in a crowd this size with hundreds and hundreds of people here, there are some of you who doubt your salvation. In fact, if I said today you are going to die, it would terrify you because you're not sure that you're going to heaven. Today, let's remove those doubts. In fact, in verse 13, John even says this. He says, you can know that you have eternal life. And this morning, I desire to share very simply two thoughts, two assurances with you that you can have, that you can be 100% certain that you have a confident salvation. Here's thought number one. I know my salvation is certain. And let's use the word of God. I know my salvation is certain. As we've been preaching through the book of John, verse by verse, line by line, word by word, where necessary. Let's use this passage of scripture regarding salvation and assurance. Someone has pointed out that there are three groups of people. There are those who are secure, but they're not sure. There are those who are sure, but they're not secure. And then I prayerfully trust the Lord that we could be in this group. There are those who are secure and they're sure. 
Let's illustrate this assurance from our text this morning in a couple of different ways. In verse 6 and uh, 7 and 8, we see the testimony of the three witnesses. John says that he, that is Jesus, came by water and blood. Not by water only, but by water and blood. He adds, and it is the Spirit that beareth witness. There are three that testify of Jesus. The Bible says the water, the blood, and the Spirit. The symbolism uh, of the water and blood and the fact that much of verse 7 doesn't appear in, in, in uh, the ancient manuscripts makes this somewhat difficult but not impossible to interpret correctly. So let's begin with the water. What water is he talking about here? That is the water of the Jordan River. Most conservative Bible teachers agree that uh, the water points back to Jesus' baptism. That took place back in Matthew chapter 7. Listen to this. And then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan and and to uh, John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee. Comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. By the way, there's what you need to know. There's no such thing as sprinkling. He went straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus' baptism was a symbol of sins being washed away. Jesus, uh, uh, excuse me, John's baptism, John's baptism was a symbol of his sins being washed away. John was a sinner. John needed to be baptized. But Jesus didn't have any sin. So why was he baptized? Because, as the Bible says, it becometh us to fulfill all Righteousness. It was good to all that God required Jesus uh, to be baptized, even though he didn't need to be. And here's why. It was an example to all of us of what God requires. If you've been saved and not baptized, you're in scriptural disobedience to the Lord. And you should take that first step of obedience and be baptized um, and make arrangements for that, even right here at Tucson Baptist Church. The water, then, is a symbol of Jesus' sinlessness. The only way that Jesus could pay the price for, for, for our sins uh, is if he had no sin himself. The blood, that second part of the witness, represents the cross. Jesus' sinlessness in itself could not save us. His sinlessness led him to a sacrificial death. On the cross, the sinless one bore the sins of all humanity. John has already told us Jesus is the propitiation. We looked at that message many months ago. and we define that for you. First Peter 1 and verse 19 says, We were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. The water represents the baptism, the sinless life of Christ. The blood represents the cross or that sacrificial death of Christ. The third testimony that's mentioned in our passage of Scripture is called the Spirit. And the Bible says, The Spirit that beareth Witness. The water and the blood, they're historical, objective, intellectual evidences. However, it's the work of the Holy Spirit that is experiential. It's subjective. It's extremely personal evidence. If the Holy Spirit of God does not live within you, you are not saved. You are not a believer. 
And you say, well, how do I know that? It's personal. It's experiential. He speaks to you. He answers your prayer request. There's, it's, a, it's an evidence that is real within you. Wherever the gospel is preached, be it with great eloquence to a stadium of thousands of people or simply across the table from someone at a Burger King. The Spirit of God is the one who works in the heart. Has the Spirit of the living God ever worked in your heart? Do you know that? The Spirit helps us realize not only did Jesus die for the world, but personally, he died for me. Do you believe that this morning? Jesus Christ gave his life. He died for you. So here's what happens. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. Then that Holy Spirit convinces us of the truth. What is the truth? Jesus is the answer. And then after we receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit comforts us with that assurance. Do you have comfort this morning that you're a believer? Do you have that confidence that comes from the convicting, convincing, and comfort of the Holy Spirit of God? John says this, the Spirit is truth, back in verse number 6. Romans 8 and verse 16 says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. I know that I am secure in my salvation um, because of the water and blood. I'm intellectually convinced that Jesus lived a sinless life and that he died a sacrificial death. All of us, in unison, 100%, intellectually, we should be able to say, I believe that story. How many of us believe that story this morning? I believe it. Intellectually, intellectually, I believe it. But may I tell you, there are millions in the world who intellectually believe that. They believe, yes, Jesus came. Yes, he lived a sinless life. He was born of a virgin Mary. We believe that intellectually. Intellectual salvation is not salvation. That's not salvation. You can have an intellectual understanding of the word of God and still reject God. But may I just say, intellectually, I'm convinced that Jesus lived that sinless life. But I'm even more convinced and know that I'm a Christian because I have the Spirit of God that lives within me. In verse number 8, John says, these three agree in one. So you can have an intellectual understanding and not be saved because the Holy Spirit is the one that makes it the glue that holds it all together. Do you know the Holy Spirit lives within you. How do I know that? He convicts me of sin. He comforts me. He guides me. When I pray, he answers my prayer request. Listen to this amazing verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. For he hath made him, that's water, the sinless life, to be sin for us, that's the blood or the sacrificial death, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, which is the testimony of the Spirit. Does the Spirit of God live within you, and it's evident that you have trusted Christ? In verses 9 through 12, we see the testimony, another witness, we see the testimony of the Father. John says, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. We all rely on the word or testimony of other people, even total strangers. Let me just be practical. I'm a practical preacher, always will be. You go to Walgreens, CVS, or another pharmacy. You do not even know the name of the pharmacist. But the doctor's called in one of your many prescriptions, and you go there to pick up your prescription. 
and you walk up without even knowing who that farmer is, you, you, a pharmacist is, you've never, you don't know him from Adam, you don't know who he is, uh, he fills your prescription, and uh, you begin taking that medicine. How do you know he got your prescription right? There's a mechanic. Your car's broken down. You don't know the mechanic. And, and so you just take your car and you trust them. And he bangs on your car a couple of times and says, hey, it's fixed. Now that'll be $300. You don't know that mechanic from Adam. You, you know, I know there's one or two of you think that you live back when George Washington was alive, but none of you've met George Washington even though we're trying to rewrite history books and get rid of people that are part of our history. If I told you that Washington and Lincoln and Napoleon, they were not real people. It's just a myth. If you believe that, you're crazy. You would say, hey, you're nuts, Pastor Armstrong. But how do you know? Not a one of you have met Washington or Lincoln or Napoleon. You believe they're real because there's been an accurate testimony of historians down through the ages. And it's often confusing to me how the people will blindly, blindly trust human witnesses, fallible human witnesses, but they will not trust the reliability and infallibility of God. And this morning, there are those who sit right here among us who doubt the infallibility of God. How would you feel if someone said, I'm trying to believe you. I wish I could trust you. You'd be angry because in effect, uh, to question your reliability means that they're calling you a liar. Look in verse number 10. John says that he writes this. He that believeth not God hath made him a what? He that believeth not God is a liar. God has given the testimony of his son, and if we do not believe, we insult God, and we call the God of this universe a liar. John says that that person in verse number 10, who believeth on the Son of God, hath the witness in himself. And when we believe uh, the truth, and we apply the truth, we experience the truth, um, Until I believe what the salesman says about a new car and I apply it, uh, what he said, by buying it, getting in and driving it, I can't experience it. And when I believe the scripture and I try to practically apply that truth to my everyday experience, here's what happens. The Holy Spirit lifts those words from the pages of the Bible. It helps me to understand as it's flushed out in my own life. The process is always believe, apply experience. Believe. Apply. Experience. We have people who believe and won't apply. And if you're not willing to apply the truths of the Word of God, you can never experience the truths of the Word of God. I'm afraid we have people in all three of those stages here this morning. I want you to know confidently the Bible says in verse 11, and this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. God has not merely given us life in quantity, but in quality. Not merely life eternal, but life abundant. And if I ask you, what is eternal life? The the vast majority of you would say this. What is eternal life? You would say, when I die, I go to heaven. May I say, that's only part of it. That's only a microcosm of what that means. 
Jesus said uh, in John 17, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Eternal life is the knowledge of, the fellowship with Almighty God through his Son. There are some of you that the, the name of Jesus, you, it's like, it's boring to you. Oh no, don't mention Jesus. I can't talk about Jesus. If you've experienced him, you can't help but talk about him. Um, verse 12, he that hath the Son hath. Now notice that verse that we read. It does not say will have someday. That verse does not say he that hath the Son will someday have life. It says this. He that hath the Son hath present tense life. If you've been saved, you have eternal life right now. You already have it. It's not something you get later on. You don't have to wait until you get to heaven to have peace and joy and power. You have now everything you will have when you get to heaven. And yes, it'll be so much more because we'll be in a sinless environment. And some believers are easily duped. They want eternal life apart from Jesus. That's not going to happen. I want my life insurance policy to go to heaven, but I want to live my life any way I want to. Listen, when the Holy Spirit of God lives within you, he draws you to be more like Jesus. God has already promised to meet our needs if we we'll we'll just pray things according to his will. People look for gratification and intimacy and illicit relationships when in Christ, God will give them the greatest of intimacy. People are looking for self-esteem and self-worth and pop psychology and politics when the Bible declares over and over again, you know what your self-worth is? An awesome right standing in Christ. How's your standing in Christ? Many Christians doubt their salvation because that's their record. I know I'm married because somewhere in Fairfield, California, in a vault in, 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 in one of the courthouses, there is a, a, light, a marriage license that says that uh, Shelly Ann Eberly and Brent David Armstrong were married some almost 35 years ago. Right, so there's a piece of paper that says I'm married. But a piece of paper doesn't mean I have relationship. And I'm here to tell you this morning that there's, there's a lot of people who have a piece of paper that says they're married and they're miserable. They're miserable. And, and that piece of paper is, is all that's holding you together. You have this license that says you, you're married and you gave this vow that you won't get divorced and you won't and forsaking all others. And, and, but you're miserable. May I just tell you, relationship is awesome. And you can have relationship with Jesus Christ this morning. And verse 13, there's another witness, and that's the testimony within us. The testimony within us. John says that he has written unto you that believe. That is, he has written to Christians so that you may know that you have eternal life. Um, it, it, it's possible to have eternal life and not know much about the life of God. You'll be miserable on that trip. But I just want to tell you that you can know with absolutely certainty that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior because of the Spirit that lives within you. If you've believed on Jesus, if you're applying eternal life in your fellowship with him, the Bible says, John wrote it, you will know that you have eternal life. Very quickly, let me give you the second assurance this morning that you can have a confidence in, and that is, I know my prayers are certain. I know my prayers 
are certain. There were three men who were discussing the proper posture for prayer. The first one said, now listen, if you, want to, if you want to hear from God, you've got to be on your knees. You've got to have your head bowed. You've got to be in complete reverence to the Lord Almighty. And the second argued, no, that's not the way it is. You should stand with your hands raised, looking up into the heavens, so that that way you can speak to, uh, face to face, as if it were, uh, to your heavenly Father. And there's a third one. He laughed and he says, I don't know anything about uh, these positions, but I know this, the finest praying I've ever done when I was caught upside down in a well. Uh, <laughs> There's a lot of people that try to figure out the minutiae of, of how's the best way to gain access to God. But I want to show you in verse number 14, we can know God, that he does hear our prayers. Not only can you know that you have eternal life, but you can have confidence that he heareth your prayer. Prayer is instinctive in men and women. Someone has wisely said this, there are no atheists in foxholes. One seaman described the severity of a storm by saying, God heard from plenty of strangers that night. Most people, I don't mean to be disrespectful, because I don't know exactly how you do it, but I think I can say this with some degree of confidence. Most people, even people here tonight, or this morning, people are watching by live stream, you experiment or dabble with prayer. You pray for something and nothing happens. And you say, see, I told you God's not real. And uh, you say, well, prayer doesn't change anything. So why should I even pray? I prayed a prayer once five years ago and God never answered it. Let me help you with that. Please, everyone listen. I'll be finished shortly. Notice the certainty in John's language here of what he wrote. He said this, and this is the confidence that we have in him. That word confidence there means boldness, freedom, lack of reserve. God delights when we come boldly to him in prayer. In fact, the Bible says that in Hebrews chapter 4. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There is a clause. There is a fine print. There is a requirement to hear and experience answered prayer. And this may be what some of us are missing. I pray and God doesn't answer. I, I, I pray and I never hear from God. I prayed years ago, but God didn't answer my prayer. So let's look at what the Word of God says. Here is that clause, the fine print in the contract. If we ask anything according to his will. He says this, if we ask anything according to his will. God doesn't promise to hear any prayer, but he absolutely guarantees to hear any prayer that's offered according to his will. God is not like a vending machine where we put in the coins of our pep, uh, uh, petitions and we make a selection and expect to receive what we want to hear. Prayer is not Aladdin's lamp and God is no cosmic genie and I rub the lamp and I get my wishes and what I favor and what I want. There are Christians who think that if we follow a particular formula, if I just say these magic words, God will finally hear me and God will be bound to do what I have told him to do. 
I don't think this is in your notes, but maybe you could write this down. God is not my butler. God is not my butler. To treat him so is to demean who he is. We deserve nothing, but he gave us Jesus. We deserve hell, but he gave us heaven through Jesus Christ. But yet, after salvation, we demean the position of God Almighty and treat him as our butler. Consider the audacity to demand that the sovereign creator, ruler of the universe, bows to a whim of a fail fallen creature. How dare we? In wonder, David, he asked in Psalm 8 and verse 4, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? God doesn't hear some prayers because of selfish motivation. James 4 and verse 3 says, Ye ask and receive not, because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. You ask for a prayer request that's not within God's will. How do we pray according to his will? We need to know that our request is consistent with the word of God. It really wouldn't make sense to go buy a new golf club at the clothing store Banana Republic. It really wouldn't make sense to go buy a set of tires at the fast food restaurant in and out and when you ask according to a biblical principle, it's like ordering from God's catalog. It's in stock. It's on the way. But sometimes we ask amiss. We, we can't find it in God's catalog called the Bible. And sometimes we ask for things that are not according to the will of God. And sometimes it's not God's will. And sometimes we pray about such a matter, demanding that God heal cancer. When yet God wants to use that cancer to bring honor and glory to himself. Sometimes we demand that God do this for one of our children or one of our grandchildren. And we demand that God do this in the workplace. And we demand God and it's not according to his will. Here's what I've learned is that the spirit confirms in my heart. And sometimes I have to simply wait on God's timing when I pray and ask things according to his will. When's the last time you prayed according to the will of God? This morning in verse number 15, we can know this though, if we pray according to his will, that God will answer our prayers. How many of you would like to hear from God this morning and, let, and know that he can answer our prayers? Man, we have so many burdens. I, I pray for our country. I pray for our state. I pray for our church. This morning on the way in, guess what? I wasn't kneeling. I didn't have my hands up in the air. I was praying as I was driving in this morning for our growth group teachers. I was praying that people would get up and be at growth groups. And I was praying for our church this morning. And you know what? I know God heard me because that's according to his will. Because he said that we're supposed to be in church on Sunday. And you're here. And God answered that prayer. Verse 15, John says that when we have prayed according to his will, here's what he says. We know that he hears us. We also know that we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. God never says no unless we pray outside his will. 
2 Corinthians 1 verse 20 says this, For all the promises of God in him are yea and in him amen and to the glory of God by us. In Psalm 84 verse 11, the psalmist wrote, No good thing will he withhold from them, uh-oh, another little fine print, that walk uprightly or according to his will. This is exactly what Jesus meant when he said this, Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. He gives eagerly. He gives willingly. But here's the thing. We have to pray according to his will. I wonder this morning, you say, I'm fearful if I were to die today. I don't know for sure if I would go to heaven. You can know that today. Right now, you can know that. Yes, I have a head knowledge. The Bible says Jesus came. So is that enough for salvation? No. Does the Holy Spirit of God live within you? Is that enough for salvation? Absolutely. So does the Holy Spirit of God live within you? Do you know that? When's the last time you had a prayer answer? As a parent, and even with grown and married children, now grandchildren, I still want the best for my children. In fact, if one of my children said, Dad, I'm short of money, and I need some money for a pack of cigarettes. And they've asked me. I'm a dad. I want to give them anything they want. I want to give them. I want to help them. And, and if, it's a, if it's the last $10 of my billfold and they need it, I'm giving it to them. It, I don't want to withhold anything from my children and grandchildren. But may I just tell you that if they ask me to go buy them a pack of cigarettes or go buy them this or that thing, what do you think I'm going to say? No. It hurts your testimony. It's not healthy for you. I'm not going to do that. And sometimes uh, we give to our children because we're afraid we'll break a relationship with our children. But sometimes it's just not, it's not healthy. It's not wholesome. It's not right to do that for our children. The God of heaven looks at some of our requests and says, it's not healthy. It's not wholesome. I'm not going to do that for you. And here's the problem. We then get upset and we turn our back on God. Oh, the pharmacist, he knows best. He filled my prescription. That, that I can trust the mechanic that I don't even know his first name because he's going to fix my car. I can't trust God because he didn't do it the way I wanted it. I submit to you that God wants to hear our prayers. A couple of weeks ago, I preached a message that God makes the impossible possible. And we had a special time, and uh, you'll remember... Uh, Many of you filled out a card. In fact, there are hundreds. In fact, some of you wrote three, four, one person wrote five impossible situations. Most of the cards had multiple, not just one, had multiple. I actually took the time, um, I'm the only one who's seen these, and, and, and uh, as, I've, as I've read through every one of these cards, uh, some of them were very specific, and so I know who you are uh, because you, you actually put that specific situation. Overwhelming. I thought for sure the number one request would be salvation. And there were many. That was the number two. Number two burdened on people's hearts. My grandfather, my spouse, my children, my grandchildren, a co-worker, my neighbor. Over and over again, there were requests for salvation. But overwhelmingly, the number one request was finances. In our church, you who fed out hundreds and hundreds of, of requests 
And, um, and as I've had the opportunity to pray. I've highlighted them. I went through every card with a, with a highlighter. And, and I, I told you that I'd be praying. Do you know that our impossible situation can be made possible with God? Having said that, as I went through these, I, I quickly got a sense that in some situations we don't understand God's desire to help us. When we spend foolishly, and when we buy beyond our means, and when we have multiple credit cards that are maxed out, and then we say, God, help me out of this situation. And then if we were to go and see that, and, and by the way, I still, I, I do not look at tithing records, that way I can look at you, smile, and never think a negative thing about you. But the reality is, is that based on these cards, based on the number of people that come, based on our giving, there's a lot of people that do not tithe. It's a sin not to tithe. Now, let me be very direct with you this morning. If you're not tithing, God's not answering your prayers. Because that's a command. That's a black and white command. So you can pray for your mother to get saved and your dad to get saved. And may I just tell you, God hears the prayer that's according to his will. And so if we're disobeying God and, and the things that we're supposed to be doing, God doesn't hear that prayer. He doesn't answer that prayer. He hears the prayer of the righteous man. He hears the prayer that, of the person who prays according to his will. And the reason that some of us are in financial trouble and or the reason that God's not answering our prayers is that we're disobedient in our finances. And some of you are getting really quiet. But that's the word of God. We're, we're desperate with God to save someone and we're desperate with God to help us out with a family situation or a job situation. And the fact of the matter is, is that we're robbing God. Wherein have you robbed God with your tithes and offerings? The number one, number one overwhelming request in our church is impossible situations in my finances. And it all starts when we obey and do right. I want to challenge you to do that this morning. Pray according to his will, but we have to live according to his will. And God desires to answer our prayer requests, and, and he wants to answer our prayer requests. But we have to pray according to his will, and we have to do what's right. And... Um, I'm not ashamed to say that, and there's not a single person here that can take me to task because the Bible says that we're to give back to the Lord in our tithes and offerings. God loves a cheerful giver. So why don't we start with the very basic things that we're supposed to do before we worry about those grand, great, big things. As we do the basic things right, then God increases that faith, and God takes care of things in our life that's amazing. Church family, I want to be a help to you. Are you confident in your salvation? Are you confident in your prayers? And you say, I don't even remember the last time God specifically answered a prayer in my life. It could be because there's some things in the fine print that we're not doing correctly according to his will. How is it? How is it with you this morning? This is amazing. You know one of the reasons I think we're growing is because we do preach the truth here. We're not, going, we're not here to give you a sermonette, make you laugh two or three times and go away and say, oh, wow, that was a, we had a good comedy hour at church. You could, there's other places that you can go on Broadway for that. 
But we're here to preach the whole counsel of the Word of God, where the Word of God takes us. And in 1 John chapter 5, today, the Word of God clearly took us that there's a lot of people that have doubts in their salvation and they have prayers that are not being answered. May I just tell you that if you're concerned, honestly, about a family member being saved, going to hell, being eternally separated from God, while you are in heaven for all of eternity. That's a heavy load to think about. Are you doing right by him? Are you doing right? We all should be doing right this morning. Every one of us, especially those who are members of our church, we should be doing right. And it should be our heart's desire to please our Heavenly Father. Do you know that you know that you're saved? How many of you can amen? You know you're saved. That means the Holy Spirit lives within you. And I won't ask you with an amen how many of you have answered prayer, but I hope that across the board that that would be the desire of all of us.